was a good message and uh, a message I thought would be incredibly helpful. I was looking forward. Uh, I was sitting there in my office and I was reading the Bible and I just thought that's not the message, not for tonight. And uh, it's an interesting thing to preach when we have the Lord's Supper because you have, a, you know, have a little less time and you want to make sure you don't take over, you don't rush through the Lord's Supper and it doesn't feel tacked on and so forth. And, and so this message just came to my mind and I, 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 hope that, um, I hope it finds a lodging place in your heart. And the message that I, I was going to preach is going to be preached Lord willing, at a later time. Turning your Bibles to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 through 4. Tonight, I want to remind you of something you already know, but may not have considered the significance of. So tonight, I'm going to remind you of something you already know. But perhaps you've not considered the full significance of. So Micah chapter 5 and beginning in verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time. When she who is in labor has borne a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel." And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Now I said I was going to tell you something you already know but perhaps have not considered the full significance of. And here's what you already know. Jesus was not born in Jerusalem. If I had asked you tonight to raise your hands if you knew where Jesus was born, I suspect every hand in this sanctuary would have gone up and you would have said Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as was the case. But Jesus was not born in Jerusalem. That strikes me as strange. 
he was born in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah tells us that's where he was to be born. It it was a, a small, insignificant place. And then he grew up in another small, insignificant place. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth, a town that was actually not just small, but was literally held in contempt. Do you remember what Nathaniel, one of the disciples, said when, when he was told about Jesus? He asked a question. He, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was that kind of place. So Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, a a little tiny town. He, He was raised in Nazareth, a place that no one wanted to be from. But he did manage to die in Jerusalem. After being falsely accused and convicted, on the testimony of false witnesses. Look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 59. Matthew 26 and verse 59. Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any even though many false witnesses came forward, but later two came forward and said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So they they looked for some false testimony, couldn't find it, couldn't find what they were looking for, even though many came up to offer false testimony. And then two come forward and they said, we've got it and here it is. Uh, He said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? In other words, are you going to defend yourself? Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you, I I command you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fist, and others slapped him. After being found guilty, he was crucified. Now think about it. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
and raised in Nazareth because there was no answer to the problem of mankind's sin in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth because there was no answer to what was the essential problem of mankind in Jerusalem. And you would have expected it because Jerusalem was the queen of cities. We have seen some real ugliness this week in our nation's capital. I read today that a writer for Stephen Colbert's late show on CBS tweeted yesterday, and that's the day that Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the Supreme Court, and here's the line. And when I read this, I must tell you, my heart was broken. Not for the man, not for Mr. Kavanaugh, not for any parties, not for politicians. My heart was broken for our nation. Here's what the writer for Stephen Colbert said. Or tweeted, whatever happens, I'm just glad we ruined Brett Kavanaugh's life. That don't break your heart. I don't know. I don't know what will. Is that the place where we've come? as a country and people, that whatever side you're on, that you're willing to destroy people and their family and their children? Now, anyone who's familiar with the situation understands that the opposition to Mr. Kavanaugh really wasn't based on anything other than what they feared he would do once he arrived on the court, uh, they suspected he might overturn Roe versus Wade. A 1973 Supreme Court decision that paved the way for 60 million abortions. I suppose it should be no surprise that destroying a man, his wife, and his two daughters would be readily pursued in the light of Roe v. Wade. I mean, when you think about it, why would you hesitate to destroy a family if you were trying to protect your right to take the lives of 60 million children? But that's not my main point tonight. It's only to illustrate what my main point is. And here's my main point. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth because there was no answer to the world's problem in Jerusalem. And yet today, our default position is we look to Washington, D.C. 
And we look to New York City to answer America's problems. We look to Ivy League universities and large high-tech corporations to solve America's problems. But we're looking as a culture for solutions in the wrong places. Could it be as it was 2,000 years ago that the answer to our problems does not lie in a big city or a, or a big university or, or a big corporation? Could it be that America's hope lies in the small communities where Jesus Christ is still loved, still worshipped, still served? Because he's the hope. He's the hope. Revival probably won't come to our big cities first. We pray that it will eventually make it to the big cities. But revival will probably start in small communities like Douglas. Coffee County. I think that's where it has to start. Because as you look back, the answer to the world's problems wasn't found in someone who came from the best family in Jerusalem. It came from a little baby born in an obscure village called Bethlehem. And eventually he moved with his family to Nazareth. He wasn't the son of a college professor. He wasn't the son of a great high priest. He was the son of a carpenter. At least that was his earthly father. He wasn't a person who came from great privilege. He wasn't wealthy. He didn't have what you might say the right pedigree, although he was of the house and lineage of David. He came from a small place and grew up in a small place. Sometimes we won't apologize because we live in a small place. Sometimes we throw up our hands and we're frustrated because we don't have this or we don't have that. Sometimes whenever people talk about and you're at a, you're at a gathering, maybe you're at a convention or you're, you're at some meeting uh, in your profession or, or you're, you're, you're away at some convention and you're, you're talking and people ask, where are you from? And one says, well, I'm from Cincinnati. Another says, well, I live in Atlanta. Another says, well, I come from New York City. Another one says, I I live in Los Angeles. Where do you live? Douglas, Georgia. What's the first question? Where is that? Where is that? It's about two blocks from Bethlehem. That's where it is. It's about two blocks from Bethlehem. You see, nobody expects 
anything world-changing to come from a little community like this. Which is exactly the reason that I believe God will choose a little community like this if revival is to start, if revival is to come to America. Maybe we've gone too far. I don't know. But I know this, there's never a time when we've gone so far that we need not pray. That we need not seek the face of God. Because I think revival will have to start in a place just like this. In a crowd just about this size. Because God said in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Friend, I'm, I'm just here to tell you and the powers that be in the world in which we live, the movers and shakers in worldly places have no stomach for that kind of thing. To pray, to humble themselves turn from their wicked ways to seek the face of God like a man seeking water who is perishing of thirst and that's why I don't really think revival starts in the biggest places I think perhaps it starts in a place very much like this read one more passage of scripture and we'll be finished As I said, only Jesus can heal this nation and bring us together. I have told my wife that when I expire and they plant me in the ground, that if I could have anything put on my gravestone, it would be the words of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And since I'm a big guy, there'll probably be enough room To include verse 10, we'll see. You know the passage, I quoted it this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. This is the testimony of the Ephesian people who turned to Christ. And Paul is reminding them of their pilgrimage. And he says, remember, it was by grace that you were saved through faith. It was not of yourself, not your works, not your efforts. It was a gift of God. And it was not a work so you wouldn't boast. Now, you are his workmanship, and Christ does have good works, which God has prepared for you that we would walk in those, but you were saved by grace. And we 
kind of take that thought and we set it over on the shelf and we don't think much about the words that follow in chapter 2. But I want to read them as we close. Paul says, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then he says, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, Gentiles, that's us, by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, which in that day and time, they were people of very great importance. Paul himself was a Jew. Remember that you formerly, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Why? Because they'd not been circumcised. And what was circumcision? It was something done by one man to a little child. He goes on to say, But now in Christ Jesus... Not as a result of circumcision, but because of Christ. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off out in the country, so to speak, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he closes with this statement. For Christ himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity, the hatred. This reminds us that really the way to bring people together who are miles apart is through Christ. He, he, he breaks down the hatred. He breaks down the, intimate, the, the enmity. He, he breaks down all those barriers and walls. And Wednesday night we're going to go together with some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are different than we are. They have a different worship style and most of them have a different race. They're African Americans for the most part. But they're our friends. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We enjoy meeting with them. We enjoy worshiping with them. We enjoy fellowshipping with them. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the folks in the big cities are always talking about how divided we are. Friend, I don't feel any division in Christ, do you? I don't feel hatred for anybody in Christ, do you? I'm not angry and wanting to do something to somebody. I have no interest in destroying anyone, do you? I don't want to see anyone suffer. I just want to see people enjoy their potential in Christ Jesus. And I don't want to force it down their throat. I simply want to tell them about Jesus and hope and pray by the mercy of the Holy Spirit they'd come to Christ.
See, there is no hatred in Christ. There is unity in him. If we ever want to see our nation come together, that's how it will come together. When we all come together under the blood of Jesus. It's what this table is about. It's about bringing people together. Because the blood represented by the cup at this table is a blood that was shed for whosoever will. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for just the Jews. He didn't die just for the Romans or for the Greeks. Jesus died for whosoever will. And it is only through his blood that the walls of separation that we have seen in our nation grow higher and higher and higher will ever be broken down. Because you see, we're not mad with anybody, are we? Our heart only hurts for those who are hurt. And if you think about it, our heart hurts for those who hurt others. I feel just as much agony for the man who wrote, or the person, I could have been a a lady, I don't know, but whoever wrote that comment that I read to you earlier that simply said, well, at least whatever happens, I'm just glad we ruined Brett Kavanaugh's life. Friend, those are the words of someone who's so filled with hate they can't even see it. The hope is in Christ. And the revival this nation needs will more than likely start in a place like this among people like you who are just Sin, us who are just sick of all the sin and all the separation and all the bitterness and all the enmity would just like to see us do what Jesus said to do in the first place. Turn the other cheek to love one another. That's the way it'll be in heaven. And I would love to see the day when it could kind of be like that, where we live here in America. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you, as you hung from the cross, looked out at a crowd that hated you, and you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, Lord, that we might have that kind of heart We might have a heart like Stephen who, when he was being stoned, looked up into heaven and asked that this charge be not held against their account. That we could have a heart likened to the heart of the Apostle Paul who, although... There were Jews who sought to kill him and the Romans eventually did. He was also able to write in his great epistle to the Romans 
I would that I would be accursed for the sake of my brothers who are Jewish. Lord, the real hope for peace and unity and us being all that we can be and should be rest firmly in Jesus Christ. Oh God, would you send a revival to our land? And if it could be possible, Lord, would you let that revival begin in us? In Jesus' name we pray.